The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. Good morning. Our scripture reading for today comes from Revelations 15:5 through 16:21. After this, I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witnesses in heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure, bright linen with golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died and was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the water say, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw, coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs, for they are demonic spirits, performing signs, who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, such as there has never been on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found, and great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people. And they cursed God for the plague of the hail, because the plague was so severe. This is the word of the Lord. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 15. Uh, The other day, Asher, who's my four-year-old son, he came downstairs crying at the top of his lungs. And as always, I immediately knew that that meant an injustice had occurred in my house. So I asked him, what happened? And through tears, he explained, I had something and Solomon took it. Solomon is his two-year-old younger brother. Naturally, I asked him, what had Solomon so horrendously stolen from him with malice aforethought? He looked at me as serious as he could be and he sobbed, a thing that had red on it. He didn't even know what it was. He couldn't even remember what it was. And I tell you, I tell you that ridiculous story because and having five children, it seems like my house is in a state 24-7 of someone always having wronged someone else. 
Someone is always crying out to myself, to my wife, Holly, for justice, for just judgment to come to their rescue and to restore what is right, to right the wrong, to put an end to evil in my house, to bring salvation. And while this happens in my house in countless silly ways, it's really a small picture of the larger serious reality of our world. We sung about just now. It's not the reality of our world that we live in a world of injustice, wrongs, evil. Do we not live in a world that is constantly crying out for justice, for a restoration of what is right, for an end to all evil? The the state of our world 24-7 is a constant cry for salvation. And if we're honest, it can be so easy to feel defeated and to despair. Constantly crying out for justice. Feeling defeated and despairing, asking, will anybody answer our cry? Can anybody answer our cry? Can anybody save? Revelation 7 and verse 10 says that only the triune God can. There the saints, we heard them sing, salvation belongs to our God. Only He can save. Salvation belongs to Him. Only He can fully and finally answer all the wrongs, all the injustices, all the evil, everything. And Revelation chapter 15 and verse 1 says that He will answer all of it, and He will answer it with wrath. Read it with me. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. Seven angels... Seven plagues, which actually verse 7 is going to picture for us as seven bowls to be poured out. Seven bowls filled with the wrath of God. Filled to the brim to be poured out to the bottom and bring it all to an end. Like everything we just sang about, all the injustices, all the wrongs, all the evil, it will end. This is the gospel good news of the wrath of God. And... And here's the deal. As soon as I say that, something about that sentence doesn't quite sit right with us, does it? With our modern or postmodern mindset and sensibilities. Wrath doesn't seem right. Wrath doesn't seem good. How can I call wrath gospel good news? Shades. Shades, this is the very truth that these bowls pour out. They pour out the good news that somebody can actually save our world from evil. They pour out the good news that somebody can actually answer all of the evil. They pour out the good news that somebody will answer all of the evil. Such good news, such gospel good news saves us from giving in to defeat and to despair. Instead, it sustains us and satisfies us by by giving us a, a picture of the coming celebration of the end to all evil. We desperately, Shades, we desperately need the gospel good news of God's wrath. I want you to see that this is good. I never, I've told you this before, I never as a pastor want to tell you something is in the Bible, so just believe it. I want you to see the goodness of the truth that's there. I don't want to tell you the wrath of God, yeah, talked about in the Bible, so just believe it, accept it, sorry. No, it's good. I want you to see that it is a part of his goodness. And the bowls of Revelation 15 to 16, pour out the gospel good news of God's wrath that we so desperately need. So, for the rest of our time this morning, what I want us to do is walk through four truths. Four truths about the gospel good news of God's wrath poured out by these bowls. And here's the deal. I promise, Shades. I promise that if we will see God's wrath rightly, as it truly is, not a caricature of it, People try to caricature the wrath of God all the time by looking at it through a very narrow lens. We talked about this a little bit last week. I cherry-pick different scriptures, pull them all out of context, and look at it through the narrow lens of let's just look at this and what it says about wrath. Let's just look at this and what it says about judgment. That, that's like me as a teenager when I would talk to my friends about the ways my parents disciplined me. And I would look at it through the narrow lens of my teenage life. I could convince any of them that my parents were evil. Look at what they did. Look at what they said. Look at the punishment they put me under. Aren't they horrible? 
through the narrow lens, but through the larger lens of my life now, especially my own life as a parent, their discipline looks very different through that larger lens. As a matter of fact, most of the time when I call my parents, my conversations with them begin with, I love you, I'm sorry, and you were right. We need to do the same thing with the wrath of God, not look at it through the narrow lens of wrath, but the larger lens of redemption. Not through the narrow lens of judgment, but through the larger lens of justice. If we will do that and we will see the wrath of God as it truly is a promise, it will sustain us through the evil of this world. It will do so by satisfying our hearts with the guarantee that we will celebrate in a new world. So, four truths poured out by these bowls. Truth number one, the bowls, the bowls pour out the truth that God's wrath is final. The bowls pour out the truth that God's wrath is final. What I mean is that it will come in a final form. There will be a final judgment. All evil will be judged and removed, and there will be no turning back. The bowls pour out this truth. Look at Revelation 15 and verse 1. Read it again with me. We already read it once. Let's read it again. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven bowls, which are the last. For with them the wrath of God is finished. Something different is happening here. We've seen cycles of seven before in Revelation. As a matter of fact, we've seen two cycles of seven. Do you remember them? saw a cycle of seven seals, and then we saw a cycle of seven trumpets. Both of those cycles of seven gave us perspective on how God relates to all the evil that surrounds us throughout the church age. From Christ's resurrection until his return, those cycles of seven showed us how God relates to evil all throughout that time. And if you remember, both of those previous cycles concluded by giving us a glimpse that one day an end to all of that evil would come. And now right here with this final cycle of seven, that day has arrived. We see seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last. Why? Because with them the wrath of God is finished. In other words, everything that we have seen up to this point has been like a preview the, the seals and the trumpets, they've served as warnings of what's coming. Again and again, Revelation has led us right up to the end, but it's always backed off. It's always been delayed, as if to say the end is not here yet. There's still time to repent. There's time to turn from sin and death to Christ and to life. But these bowls pour out the truth that God's wrath in its final form will not be delayed forever. Do you remember those delays? In the seals, we went through seal one, two, three, four, five, six, delay before seven. Same with the trumpets. Trumpets one, two, three, four, five, six, delay before trumpet seven. We will find no such delay amidst the bowls. They come in rapid fire succession as if to say final judgment won't be delayed forever. It will come and it will be final. Do you see the difference I'm trying to point out between the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls? The seals and the trumpets revealed events, not a timeline events, but events that typify the church age, the time in which we live. The seals don't reveal events that typify our time. They give us an image of the end. We've arrived at the end. This is a picture of finality and verses five through eight fill out this picture of finality for us look at verse five after this i looked and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened and out of the sanctuary came seven angels with the seven plagues clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chest they're dressed like priests coming out of the heavenly sanctuary and one of the four living creatures gave to these seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of god who lives forever and ever and the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. I think, I think there are at least three indicators right here that what is about to unfold with these bowls all through chapter 16, what's about to unfold with them is a, is a, a big picture of finality. 
a full picture of finality. Three indicators right here. First, in verse 5, did you see where it says the sanctuary of God opened? The last time we heard that language was all the way back in chapter 11 and verse 19 with trumpet number 7. When trumpet number 7 sounded, we got a preview of what the end would look like. And now this language is being echoed, taking us back to that trumpet as if to say we're about to get a full picture of what trumpet 7 previewed. This is is a full picture of finality. Second thing I think that indicates this is a full picture of finality. Did you notice in verse 7 that one of the four living creatures, and seen them for a while, remember they represent all of creation. One of the four living creatures is helping to call for this conclusion by handing out bowls to these seven angels. You remember all the way back to the very first cycle of seven, the seals, do you remember what these four living creatures did there, they helped to begin the cycle of sevens. As the first four seals were broken, they called, come. They helped to bring about the beginning of the cycles of seven, and now they are helping to bring about their conclusion. Why? Because Romans 8 says that creation itself is groaning to be set free. Set free from the corruption caused by sin and death. Creation right here is calling for the full picture of finality. Third indicator that that's what we're about to get right here. Creation calls for finality by passing out golden bowls. There's only one other place in Revelation that talks about golden bowls. It's back in chapter 5 and verse 8 where we are told that there are golden bowls in the presence of the Lord that are filled with the prayers of the saints. We heard some of those prayers, if you remember, in chapter 6 and verse 10. Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? The saints in glory pray, how long before injustices are corrected? How long before wrongs are made right? How long before evil ends? God, how long before your name is hallowed, your kingdom comes and your will is done on earth as it is in heaven? How long until the bowls of our prayers are full and ready to be poured out? We, the saints, pray for the full picture of finality. And that's what Revelation 16 says gives us the bowls are finally full of the prayers of the saints and they will be poured out as the final wrath of god that is gospel good news so why doesn't it feel like it like i mean if god is ending evil that's what we're talking about people If God is ending evil, this is the kind of thing that should strengthen our faith. Yet in my conversations with many people, they tell me that what Scripture says about the wrath of God is one of the very things that drives them away from faith. Miroslav Volf would say that that really is only true amongst people who haven't experienced true oppression. That if you live amongst the persecuted church, they don't struggle or have questions at all about the wrath of God like we do. People tell me that passages about the wrath of God are the very thing that drives them from faith. Passages about God's wrath seem to fill people with doubt about God's goodness, even leading some to despair, emptying them of hope because this God of wrath doesn't seem at all like he could also be a God of love. And doesn't 1 John 4.16 tell us that God is love? How can he also be a God of wrath? Thus, wrath seemingly leads us away from faith. It seemingly empties us of hope, and it seemingly destroys any vision of God as a God of love. This seems to be anything but good news. Shades, that's why. That's why we need the other three truths about God's 
wrath that these bowls pour out in Revelation 16. We've seen, number one, the bowls uh, pour out the truth that God's wrath is final. Now, number two, the bowls pour out the truth that God's wrath is just. The bowls pour out the truth that God's wrath is just. Look at Revelation 16, verses 1 and 2. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple. That's God's voice. The last verse of chapter 15, verse 8, told us he's the only one in there. Nobody else can come into the temple until these plagues are done. So God speaks, and it says that he tells the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. We get a plague of harmful sores. That should trigger your biblical memory. Where have we seen a plague like this before? That should take your biblical memory back to Exodus, when God rescued the people of Israel out of slavery and oppression from, from Egypt. And do you remember how he did it? He brought his wrath upon the evil Egyptian empire in the form of ten plagues, the sixth of which was painful source, specifically upon the people of the evil empire, the people of Egypt. This bowl echoes the Exodus plagues. As a matter of fact, all of the bowls, in one way or another, will echo the plagues that are seen in the Old Testament and coming against Egypt. And that's exactly what we should expect because if you remember, the trumpets did the exact same thing. Do you remember that? All the way back in chapter 8, we saw the Egyptian-like trumpet plagues. They affected the earth, they affected the sea, they affected the rivers and the springs and the heavens. And if you read through these bowls, we're going to see that exact same progression of effect. Bowls will affect the earth and the sea and the rivers and the springs and the heavens these plagues the bowl plagues and the trumpet plagues they parallel one another in many significant ways with one major difference the trumpet plagues only affected a third of the earth do you remember that the seals only affected a fourth that escalated with the trumpets to affecting a third now it escalates to full finality. The bowls affect everything. They're poured out on all of the earth. In other words, the trumpet plagues were limited, but the bowls are not. Because the trumpets sounded warning about what the bowls would pour out in full. The fullness of these bowls is pictured as Egypt-like plagues because God is using them to bring about full and final salvation. In other words, when God saved the people from Egypt in the Old Testament, he did it through plagues. He saved them from Egypt's evil by judging Egypt's evil. He saved them from evil by destroying evil. And Revelation 16 uses Egyptian plague imagery to say he's doing the same thing in the end, but now fully and finally. And this is what we should expect. Because if you go back to Revelation chapter 15, I know we're having to go back a lot, but I'm sorry, the book does that. It just constantly calls back to where we've been before. If you go back to the beginning of Revelation 15, where we were just a few moments ago, I skipped over verses 2 to 4. I skipped over them because we covered them in depth last week. But do you remember the imagery there? Last week when we looked at Revelation 15, 2 to 4, we saw a picture of the saints' final victory, and you remember it was Exodus imagery. The saints are pictured as standing on the shore of glory, having crossed through the Red Sea of this world. And they celebrate victory by singing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. How are we going to make it to the shores of glory singing? How did Old Testament Israel make it to the shores, the far side of the shore of the Red Sea singing? God brought them out through plagues, through judging Egypt's evil. Revelation 16 says we're going to make it to the shores of glory singing the same way. God will save us from the evil of this Egypt-like world by judging evil. He will save us fully and finally from evil by fully and finally destroying evil. 
He will end all evil. He will right all wrongs. He will bring all justice. That's what this Egypt-like imagery reveals about the wrath of God. And that's good. That's right. That's just. Look at, look at chapter 16 and verse 2 again. See how this is showing us that the wrath of God is just. So the first angel went, poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. Those who bear the mark of the beast now are marked by sores. Remember, this language is not literal. We're not talking about literal plagues and literal sores. It's symbolic, apocalyptic language. And all of the bowls are symbolically communicating to us truth about the final wrath of God. Things like sickness will come to their full and climactic conclusion. Things like earthquakes and war and evil, all of it will come to a full and final climactic conclusion. These, these bowls are not images of events. They are an image, a composite image of the the end. And it seems to me what is being communicated right here is that God's final wrath is just. Those marked by the beast are marked by sores. In other words, the punishment fits the crime. They match. Do you see that? This is the Old Testament principle of lex talionis, or you may recognize it as it's often said, an eye for an eye. In in other words, it's the principle that punishment should fit the crime, that it should be just. Right here, with bowl number one, we don't have an eye for an eye, but we have a mark for a mark. Just. Wrath. This gets even more explicit with bowls two and three, where the sea and the rivers and the springs are turned into blood. And the angel that pours out the bowl on the rivers and the springs, listen to what he says in verse 5. I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just, just are you, a holy one, who is and who was. You expect who is to come, but it's not there because he has come. This is a picture of finality. Who was and who is. For you brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of the saints and the prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It's what they deserve. The slaughtered saints that chapter 6 gave us a vision of as being underneath the heavenly altar. Verse 7, they agree. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Do you see the same principle at play here? For those who lived bloodthirsty, God has given them blood to drink. Again, the picture is not literal, but the point is, and the point is that God's wrath is just. That's stressed again in bowls four and five where people's response to the plagues prove the point that his wrath is just. Bowl 4 causes the sun to scorch people with fire. How do they respond? Look at verse 9. They did not repent and give God glory. His judgment's just. Bowl 5 goes in the opposite direction. Instead of the sun heating up and scorching people, it goes dark. Instead of increasing the sun's intensity, we get total darkness. Verse 10 says that this bowl, bowl five, was poured out on the throne of the beast and plunged its kingdom into darkness. In other words, this bowl reveals that the beasts that people idolize in this world, the beasts that people put on thrones, they're not sovereign over anything. They can't provide you with the security they seek. Their kingdoms of immoral deeds cannot provide you with the satisfaction that you seek. These kingdoms are darkness, not light. But how do people respond? Rather than repent and turn to the one true God who can give them the security they seek, who can give them the satisfaction that their hearts desire, the God who is our eternal joy, rather than use their tongues to utter words of praise and find their joy in Jesus, the text says they gnaw their tongues in anguish and curse the God of heaven for the pain and sores. They did not repent 
of their deeds. They don't repent of their idolatry. They won't repent and give God glory. They don't repent of their immorality. They don't repent of their deeds. They would rather sin eternally, which is why eternal wrath is just. Shades, do you see these bowls pouring out the truth that the wrath of God is just? In other words, the wrath of God is not him flying off the handle. It's not God throwing a toddler type like, like temper tantrum. I, I think that those are the images that the word wrath normally conjures up in our imaginations because that's what our wrath is like. I use the word wrath to describe me flying off the handle, to describe me throwing a temper tantrum. But that's not what God's wrath is like at all. God's wrath is just. His wrath is righteous. It's right. It's measured. It is the right, just response to sin. It's not too heavy. It's not too light. It's it's right. It's just. This is what we, as human beings, want and are never able to achieve. We want perfect justice and we can't ever get it every sentence we level is either too heavy or it's too light and we are never satisfied with the justice that we try to achieve every person every person that i ask like do you believe there's injustice in this world every person answers yes i've yet to find anyone who says no when I ask them if they long for something to be done about the injustice of this world, again, every person answers yes. Shades, all you have to do is turn on the news and you can see our world is filled with people crying out for justice. This is what we all want, but we're never able to achieve. Every sentence is too light or every sentence is too heavy, almost as if it's impossible to get justice perfectly right. Shades. Shades, hear the gospel good news of the wrath of God. It's perfectly right, perfectly just, and will perfectly bring evil to an end. Shades, if we can see the wrath of God as it truly is, it doesn't drive us away from faith, it leads us to it. It doesn't destroy our faith. It sustains it through all the evil of this world, satisfying our heart with the guarantee that we will celebrate in a new world where our faith will be made sight and we will perfectly see the world of justice that we desire. Shades, the very thing you long for, a world of perfect justice, the very thing you pray for you protest for the very thing you petition for the very thing the world cries out for is guaranteed by the wrath of god the wrath of god is gospel good news because the wrath of god is just and that truth should not just lead us to faith it should fill us with hope That becomes especially clear when we see the third truth about God's wrath poured out by these bowls. Truth number three. The bowls pour out the truth that God's wrath is coming. The bowls pour out the truth that God's wrath is coming. Look at verses 12 to 14. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophets, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they're demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle, literally to assemble them for the war. The war on the great day of God the Almighty. So Israel's ancient enemies like Babylon... It came from the east, but they always had to come into Israel from the north. They had to come in by crossing over the river Euphrates. This was a boundary between them and their enemies. And here we see the ultimate enemy of the unholy trinity, the dragon Satan and his beast and false prophets of this world, whose kingdom we have heard repeatedly called Babylon. Here they are using all their deceptive power to gather all the powers 
all the kings, the rulers of this world, their, their deception here is pictured like frogs harmlessly hopping out of their mouths. In, in Revelation, we've seen that any symbolism of anything coming out of anyone's mouth, it always has to do with their words. With evil, it always has to do with deception. And that's what we see right here. And frogs? Frogs are only mentioned one other place in your entire Bible. It's in the second Exodus plague, where they seem harmless. And you ever wonder that as a kid, reading through the plagues of Egypt? What's the big deal with the frogs? Like, other than they're gross, they seem harmless hopping about. But Psalm 78, 45 says that they brought destruction. I'm not sure how, but they brought destruction. I think what we're seeing is that this unholy trinity speaks lies that may seem harmless, but they are leading the world to destruction. Shades don't listen to such satanic croaking. The dragon... The beasts, the false prophets of this world, they want you to believe that the wrath of God is not coming. That's old religious language. They want you to believe the wrath of God is not coming because they want you to believe that there is no power that can save you but the power that you see in the signs that they perform. Don't be taken in by their promises of power. Right here we see all who are gathered by their deception are headed to destruction because they are being gathered for a war, the war. We're going to see this scene right here repeated a few more times throughout Revelation. We don't have much left, but we're going to see this scene repeated where a final barrier on evil is removed. Right here, it's the river Euphrates, symbolized by the river Euphrates. This isn't about geography. It's about the final barrier on evil being removed. We're going to see that. A final barrier on evil removed so that God might finally and fully confront it and bring it to an end in the war that is often called the war, the battle of Armageddon. It's called that because of verse 16. Look at it. And they assembled, and they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Harm, har, means mountain. Megiddon. Megiddo, it's a plain in Israel. The point right here, this is not meant to point to a literal geographical location because there isn't a literal location that matches this. There is no mountain in the plain of Megiddo. I've been there. There's no mountain. It's, Megiddo's a plain in Israel, and, and maybe there's some things that you could generously call a hill but there is no location of the mountain of Megiddo. Armageddon. I think that the reason there is no literal location is on purpose because this is meant to be a symbolic location, not a geographical one. The plain of Megiddo was a place where Israel fought several important battles, several important wars. And over the years, it actually became symbolic for a place where God's people were attacked by evil enemies. So it's a fitting symbol for the place where people's God would have a fi- where God's people would have a final confrontation with evil. But why call it a mountain? To be 100% honest with you, I'm not sure. My best guess for you is that Mount Carmel is not that far away from the plain of Megiddo, and that's another place where God famously defeated evil. You may remember he worked through the prayers of the prophet Elijah to defeat the prophets of Baal. So when you put those two things together, it seems to me that Armageddon symbolizes God's final war with the unholy evil trinity who stands behind all false gods and all the kingdoms of this world that are deceived into opposing God's people. Bowl number six pours out the truth that this war, the war, is coming. And I said that should fill you with hope. Should fill you with hope because Bowl 6 pours out the truth not only that the war is coming, but so is God's wrath 
and it is on our side. Look at the verse that I skipped, verse 15. Right in the middle of this bowl, verse 15, the voice of Jesus himself breaks in to fill us with hope. Satan and his hordes gather all their hosts for the war. Jesus speaks a word of hope. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. Christ promises that he's coming. He says, I'm coming like a thief. In other words, I'm coming without warning. Most people won't know when to expect it. Thief doesn't typically leave a note or knock on the door. Thief usually comes at night under the cover of darkness, catching you asleep and in your PJs, which apparently here for some people is in their skimpies. Christ says that should not be his people. We are to stay awake and to stay clothed so that we'll be ready when he comes. Stay awake and clothed. That's not literal, but spiritual language. Since the very beginning of the book of Revelation, Christ has called churches like Sardis in Revelation 3 to to stay awake, to wake up. Go go back and read Revelation 3, verses 3 and 4. Christ calls Sardis, wake up from your spiritual slumber. They've fallen spiritually asleep by listening to deceptive words of the unholy trinity and compromising with its kingdom, with the idolatry and with its immorality. It's said that because they've done this, they've they've soiled their garments and they need clean ones from Christ. Go back and read Revelation 3 and verse 18 where Christ tells the church at Laodicea, who's Similarly, similarly is under a state of spiritual slumber. Go read where he tells them they are basically naked and ashamed and need to purchase from him garments so that their shame of their nakedness may not be seen. All of this symbolism about slumber and about garments and clothes, all of it means that no matter how powerful the darkness around us may seem, we dare not fall spiritually asleep and go to bed with the idolatry and immorality of earth's kingdoms. Shades, don't go to bed with the political idolatry of this world and trade your integrity for security. Sell your soul if it will get a particular party in power. Don't buy the lie that that's your salvation. Shades, don't go to bed with the sexual immorality of this world that claims sex can satisfy the loneliness of your singleness. Or sex can satisfy the miserableness of your marriage. Don't buy that lie as if it's your salvation. Shades, don't fall spiritually asleep and be deceived into believing that the beastly army of this world is where true power and true salvation are found. Stay awake. Stay awake to the reality that the army of this world is marching towards destruction because the wrath of God is coming. Christ is coming to bring an end to all of the evil that right now looks so powerful. Stay awake. Stay clothed in Him. In other words, keep clinging to Christ. It's your true righteousness, your true clothing. He's coming to bring about a beautiful conclusion. He will right all wrongs, bring all justice, end all evil. Shades, this is the gospel good news of the wrath of God. And if you see it, if you see it as it truly is, it does not empty you of hope. It fills you with hope. It doesn't destroy your hope. It sustains it through all the evil of this world, satisfying your heart with the guarantee that you will celebrate in the new world where your hope will be realized. These bowls pour out the truth that God's wrath is coming, and that is gospel good news. It's gospel good news, most assuredly because of the fourth And final truth, number four, the bowls pour out the truth that God's wrath is loving. The bowls pour out the truth that God's wrath is loving. We've said God's wrath is final, it's just, it's coming, and this is all good news because God's wrath is loving. Look at Revelation 16, verses 17 to 21. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, 
and a loud voice came out of the temple, again the voice of God, the voice of Christ, from the throne saying, it is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth, so great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away and no mountains were to be found and great hailstones about a hundred pounds each fell from heaven on people and they cursed God for the plague of the hail because the plague was so severe. Satan and his forces gather for the war, which I'm hoping by this point, talked about the battlefield of Armageddon being symbolic, talked about all this being, I'm hoping everyone realizes I'm not talking about a real war. This is not a Braveheart scene. Okay, where like all of us are gathered right beside Jesus and we've got like our swords. Like, come on, let's do this thing. Like that's, that's not what's going on here. It's symbolism. It's an image for how God is going to crush evil as if it was a war and a one-sided one at that. This war turns out to be no war at all. All Christ does is speak with words that echo his cry from the cross. It's done, he says, and it is. He speaks when he comes. Christ comes right here in the same storm language that concluded the seven seals, that concluded the seven trumpets, but those were just previews. This is the full picture. Christ comes right here, and it's a quake that shakes the cosmos. You can go back to Haggai chapter 2 and verse 6 that prophesied about this quake that would shake the cosmos. Now the, the author of Hebrews picks up that prophecy and says that this is a shaking to remove everything that's ever been shaken by sin in order that things that cannot be shaken may remain. And that's precisely what we see. When Christ comes, Satan's kingdom crumbles. This bowl is poured out into the air. Curious, why the air? It's because the air for the ancient people symbolized the invisible realm of spirits and demons. I mean, for that reason, just go back and read Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2, where it calls Satan the prince of the power of the air. But his kingdom does not escape Christ's wrath. It's crumbled by it right here. And when his kingdoms fall, so do all the kingdoms that were connected to it. Babylon the Great is split in three. Babylon the Great has been symbolic of all the worldly kingdoms of, of all the worldly systems and all the world, all the kingdoms of this world. And that's why when Babylon the Great is split, the text says that all cities crumble and fall. The kingdoms of this world are left crumbling. Everything belonging to the unholy trinity. Everything and everyone belonging to the kingdom symbolically called Babylon. It all drinks down the wine of God's wrath. All that curses God is removed from creation. And that's loving My mama loved me this way. Like any time I hung out with the wrong kind of friends, which didn't happen that often. I've told you all before. I didn't make it to a lot of parties in high school. Not because I wasn't invited, right? But because when my friends would invite me, I'd say, you don't want me at your party. My mama talks to Jesus and he tells her where I've been. Um, that's true. I used to tell my friends that all the time. But my mom loved me this way. If I was ever hanging out with the wrong kind of friends, my mother's wrath would remove them from my life. Why? Because she loved me. My mother's wrath and that wrath of removal was rooted in her love. And God's wrath is rooted in His love. He loves creation. And He will lovingly remove everything that destroys it. Go back and read Revelation chapter 11 and verse 18. That's the very way it describes the wrath of God as Him destroying that which destroys His creation. The wrath of God is loving and that's why it is guaranteed that God will right all wrongs, bring all justice, end all evil because God is love. And His love will not fail to act. He will lovingly shake away all that can be shaken, all the brokenness, all the sin, all the death from all of creation. And when that day comes, He will declare it is done. And do you know what will happen after that declaration? 
We will live in his presence, eternally secure with the security that no idol could ever give, eternally satisfied with the satisfaction that no immorality could ever give, eternally filled with full joy forever in Jesus. We will see Jesus' face. You know how I know? Because of what we read in the beginning. Revelation 15 and verse 8. Look back at it real quick as we close. How do I know that we will live in the very presence of God with full forever joy? Revelation 15 and verse 8, where we were told as these plagues began that God's heavenly sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until. That's the greatest gospel word. No one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Shades, the same thing happened in Exodus at the dedication of the tabernacle. The same thing right here happened in 1 Kings at the dedication of the temple. When the tabernacle and temple were both dedicated, God's presence filled it to the point that nobody else could enter in. And right here in Revelation 15 and 16, the seven bowls have been poured out to bring about new creation. New creation that the tabernacle and the temple were pointing to. New creation in which there will be no actual tabernacle, no actual temple, for God will dwell directly with His people. No one could enter God's presence until the seven bowls had been poured out. But once they are shades, once it is done, we will experience full and final reconciliation in the presence of God where there is full joy forever in Jesus. Shades, this is the gospel good news of the wrath of God. Do you see it as it truly is? It leads you to faith and sustains it until the day that our faith is satisfied and becomes sight. It it fills you up with hope and sustains it until the day it is satisfied by being realized. And it roots you in God's love, which will sustain you through every day in this old creation until it satisfies you every day in the new creation. Shade, stay awake. Be sustained by Christ. Stay clothed. Be satisfied with Christ. He is coming to bring about a beautiful conclusion. That is the gospel good news of the bowls of God's wrath.